If you're not sure about how blockchain-driven technology such as micropayments, NFTs, and tokens fall under American gambling law, you are certainly not alone. To help shed some light on this popular subject, I have here with me today Jeff Ifra of Ifra Law. Based in D.C., Jeff has decades of experience in online gambling law, with an emphasis on emerging areas of the sector, including esports, cryptocurrency, and skill gaming. And his clients include Unicorn, Bet365, Stars Group, Playtech, and more. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jeff. I'm super happy to see you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to see you again. Listening to Coin Geek Conversations with Becky Ligiero. Let's start off today by talking about your experience with the blockchain space in respect to the gambling industry. For example, in what ways are you helping your clients these days um, get involved with blockchain and digital currencies? So, I mean, ever since the dawn of crypto, anyone who is in the gaming space. Um, was very interested in trying to integrate um, crypto into their digital wallets because there's always payment problems, even with regulated gaming. Um, and as a result, there's always been this desire to try to figure out a way um, to allow customers in the United States to um, participate in online gaming with uh, cryptocurrencies. Hasn't happened yet, but since the beginning, literally the beginning of regulated gaming in the United States, there's always been this interest. and. What's ended up happening is that most of that interest has gone over to the EU and elsewhere, um, where it is more common to be able to uh, participate in online gaming using uh, using cryptocurrency. Okay, so well, today here I wanted to run you through some scenarios, and you've actually just brought me through one of them already, <laughs> to see what your legal opinion is with respect to the American gambling law. So the first one, just to make this super clear for our audience here, is when it comes to using digital currency for land-based casinos and online casinos, you you just cannot use it. This is this is not something that the law that the law is allowing for. Is this is this accurate? There's no prohibition um, that's written into the law about it. It's just that the regulators haven't approved it as a form of alternative payments. So um, so that's the issue. And you know, I've spoken to a lot of different regulators about it over the years. Um, and, you know, initially the regulators were hesitant, not because they didn't see it as an alternative form of, of currency, but because they weren't really sure how the market would react if instead of trying to continue pushing forward payment methods like MasterCard, Visa, you know, even PayPal, which has come into the mix now, they were, you know, pushing crypto. Um, I think they didn't like the feel of that. I think they felt like it kind of would take gaming in the wrong direction. Um, then, you know, then the argument kind of changed and the argument became, listen, we need our banks and our credit card companies to onboard this industry and we don't need distractions until we can get 100% onboarded and there's no more failure rates um, with MasterCard and Visa. We're just not going to pivot over and look at crypto. So, you know, over the years, what that kind of tells me is that regulators are open to the idea, um, but they just want to get regular traditional payments sorted first. Okay, interesting. So you said it's not prohibited by law. So what if you're what if you're a gambling operator and you're like, you know what, I'm going to just try this and see if my customers like it and then just pay the consequences? Is this way of going at it, like kind of doing it and then asking for forgiveness? I mean, is this something that you would ever advise your clients to do? No. And it's interesting because a lot of times clients call and they 
that will say, well, listen, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to get a mean letter. I'm going to get an <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> um, no, it's a lot worse, actually, because um, every supplier who supplies anything to a casino or an online casino has to be licensed. Um, when it comes to payment processing, there are um, different requirements in the different states, but primarily you either have to get a vendor registration to offer payment processing services, or you have to get a, what's called a supplier license. Um, and, and that's because the regulator wants to make sure that anyone who's integrated with online sports betting or online gaming, it, that it's a transparent process that they can see who is interacting with our licensed casinos. Now, if you were to accept some sort of payment processing um, that was not licensed, you would not just be as a processor um, in trouble with the regulator, but you'd be putting the entire license of the operator at risk as well for doing business with an unlicensed supplier. And that can result in the operator losing their license. So I just don't think that any operator would be willing to take that risk. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a very good idea. <laughs> So you so you're mentioning a supplier license as well. So when it comes to blockchain technology, which I'm talking about in a different way than using you know digital currency for payment or crypto for payment, um, tell me what the law would feel about this. So if if you have a company out there that's creating something for the for the back end of an operator, for example, a way of of storing data to help with responsible gambling, for example, you know you've got all the data in a place where the regulator can can log in, have a look at it. It's immutable. Um, you know, they can see if the operator actually took action, if there is uh, someone showing problem gambling signs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Something that the operator could just plug into and use. I mean, is the U.S. market, can you do this by law, create something on the blockchain and, and have these online casinos actually use it right now today? Yeah, I mean, there would be a question as to whether or not that underlying technology would require um, licensing. Um, it depends on how it integrates with the casino operator. It depends on what kind of consumer information is being stored there, if it's private information. It also depends on how is that, how is the owner and operator of that blockchain technology being paid? If they're being paid um, by the casino based on traffic, um, and, or if it's some sort of fee that would be assessed to the customer um, as part of their experience um, on the online platform, that might trigger a licensing requirement. Okay. All right. And so what what kind of advice would you have for a company that wants to create something like this on, on the blockchain, for example? What are some of their barriers to entry for the, the U.S. market, gambling market, for example? I mean, I don't I don't really think it's very complicated. I mean, the licensing process for that type of technology is 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 it's essentially the lowest level of licensing you can have. So the regulator is going to want to know, like, who owns the technology. They're going to want to know significant owners of the technology. So generally, the rule is anyone above five percent. So, you know, what they would want to look at is let me see the organization. Um, let me see how you're structured. And then let me see who owns what. Um, and then they're going to want to see exactly how you integrate with their licensees. And basically, after they take a look at all that, they'll tell you whether or not you have to be licensed and at what level you need to be licensed. Okay, so the fact that it's blockchain is essentially irrelevant. It's just this is the normal process you'd go through with a new technology. Right, 100%, exactly. Okay, very, very good. All right, so back to when it comes more to using crypto or digital, digital currency for payment, I guess... 
a big topic that we have now. Well, it's not really using for payment, but it's tokens, right? This is something that we've been talking about quite a bit in the blockchain space, especially. What about when it comes to games? So you're, let's say you're an operator and you create a token. And this token can only be used within this particular game. You as the operator can sell the token to your players and the players can swap it, et cetera, et cetera. How does this work with gambling law in the U.S.? Is this acceptable? Or is, what, what, what's, what's the situation there? Yeah, I mean, gambling regulators haven't really put out any guidance on that particular thing. As you know, the major focus uh, on tokens has been the SEC and um, looking at it from a securities perspective. And it, so it really it depends. Um, there are sites that issue tokens um, that you can buy in the game. Um, so you can come onto the game for free. And then if you want to extend your life, if you want to buy certain weapons, certain skins, then you buy a token. Um, and a lot of those sites are monetized through the purchase of those tokens, which can only be used on the site or traded among friends on the site. But there's no secondary market for those tokens. So you have to ask yourself, how did this token come into being? If this token came into being just because you were on the game, you were playing, and then you were offered to buy it, and the, and the token is only used like it used to be used in a video arcade or something and put into the machine and it enables you to get extra powers or something like that, um, you know, that's going to be fine. There's no implications um, regarding that use of that token in that way. Um, however, if the token was offered to the entire market through an ICO or the token was offered as some sort of investment scheme or the SEC sees the token as an investment vehicle, um, that's going to be a problem. Now, gaming regulators haven't really said, oh, we're going to start enforcing securities laws. You know, they've got enough problems on their plate. They're not looking to start doing that. Um, however, you know, I have heard from some operators that they are concerned about um, integrating with an operator who has raised funds through an initial coin offering um, because they're worried about the impact it could have on their license. Um, so there's definitely hesitancy. Um, however, we have seen the regulator allow the integration of um, products which offer tokens for purchase um, on, you know, in the game. Um, and they haven't had a concern around that. Um, so really what I'm basically saying is it comes down to how was the token created? Was the token created as part of an ICO? If it was, I don't think a regulator is going to really get involved with it. But even if the regulator was comfortable, I think the operators would have some concerns um, about that. Um, if the token was not part of an ICO, it's just offered on the game to extend play, to um, skip levels, to gain certain powers. I think that regulators are going to have no problems um, in that scenario. Okay, so that's that's almost also like using an, an, an NFT, right? Sort of the same the same idea there, especially with esports. I know creating NFTs of the weapons and and, and all of this has been an, a really big topic. What about creating a marketplace where you can swap? These these NFTs and and things like this is this a commodity? Is this how how would you even define that? What what is it? <laughs> well, um, you know, it's interesting. There isn't really no one's really none of the regulators are really looking to jump on board um, and declare what it is. Um, there are aspects of you know, so NBA Top Shot is you know a very exciting NFT product. You're capturing moments. Um, the NBA is on board as a as, as some sort of sponsor or endorser or supporter um, of that entire marketplace. 
And you have people coming on, like you would go into a 7-Eleven and buy a pack of basketball cards. You're going on and you're buying a pack of the a power pack for $199 or whatever it is. And, you know, um, so so you're purchasing that and you don't really know what's inside, right? And it might be worth $199, but it might be worth less. I mean, who's to say? Who knows? But it might be like total junk. Um, and that's very similar to what happened when you'd go buy a pack of hockey cards or you know, when you were little and, and you'd buy them for 10 cents, now they're, now they're a dollar, now they're $10. Um, you don't really know what you're getting. Um, so I think one of the questions, you know, that people have is, is, well, is that gambling? I mean, it sounds like a slot machine, you know, you're going in and you're, you might get something worth that value. You might not, you don't really know. And then people will say, well, if it's like gambling, like, you know, hockey cards and basketball cards have been sold forever. I mean, nothing ever happened to them. And, you know, that's, that's very true. So, so I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if anyone will have any concern. I don't know how they will enforce that concern. Um, it's a very exciting space right now. And I really hope that regulators don't ruin it. Um, but you know um, that in the United States, regulators, um, you know, do tend to get involved and make, you know, some successful ventures um, somewhat unsuccessful or more burdensome. I don't know if that'll happen here. You, you, you make a great point about whether it's a commodity. Is the CFTC going to get involved? Is the SEC going to get involved? I think historically what typically happens in new spaces like this is you have to wait for some consumer to get screwed or multiple consumers to get screwed for the regulator to come in. And they will base their action based on what they're hearing. So, you know, someone comes in, I was misled. I thought that I was going to get LeBron and I paid 20000 for this NFT and it really wasn't LeBron or it was LeBron, but it wasn't as significant a moment as I thought it would be. Um, you know, I was in the marketplace and the marketplace is just becoming a place where, you know, people are, you know, there are sharks there and they're taking advantage of all these minnows who don't understand what an NFT is, what it's worth, how you transfer it. You know, any of that stuff could happen. Um, I mean, that is historically kind of the downfall of anything that's unregulated. And of course, you know, regulation is supposed to protect consumers. That's the reason it gets introduced in the first place. So it sort of makes sense. Right now, we haven't seen anything like that in the NFT mm -hmm. space. But of course, it's so new. Um, so we shall see. Yeah, and, and and we both laugh when you say this. Sometimes regulation, it just it's it's historically stifled innovation in the gambling industry. And I know now in the regulated US market, it's it's really challenging, especially for those that remember what it used to be like in the US market for UEGA, et cetera. It was you could sort of do anything you wanted to do. But this I mean, let me ask the question I asked earlier again, um, when it comes to NFTs, tokens, and this sort of thing. If if companies go ahead or or gambling operators go ahead and start using this tech now, even though regulators aren't so sure about it, and then ask for forgiveness later, you know, or, or assuming that they do everything in a proper way, they're not screwing customers over. Is this asking for a really large issue like it is if you start using cryptocurrency without the regulator's permission? Or is this maybe, do you think this maybe could be okay, you know, in this gray area? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I th I think it it probably is a little different. Um, I think that, look, I mean, the amount of money being spent on that site on on a lot of those sites um, is is super high. This is not a little bit of money. Um, I think you have to look at the age of the consumers. I mean, if they're younger, the regulatory response and the consequences might be more significant. Um, and I suspect they probably are a little younger. Um, so, um, you know, those are all things that get taken into account. You know, it's it's hard, though. 
I mean, you remember the beginnings of unregulated gaming in the United States. It wasn't like the NBA was on board. The NHL was on board. LeBron James was like advertising it. This is like a totally different thing. We have un- we have no regulation and we have all the big names on board. And will that make a difference? You know, I think that probably does make a difference. I mean, if I'm a regulator, I'm not going to be assuming that something that the NBA has endorsed is problematic. It's going to make me think twice. I don't think that was the case before. So, um, so that's kind of a new wrinkle to the whole thing. Yeah, really, really interesting. Really interesting. And, and something else I wanted to ask you about, Jeff, is micropayments. And I'm talking fraction of a penny kind of micropayments and how this plays into uh, games and even potentially regular gambling games like we know, you know, betting, I don't know, half a cent on a slot or whatever. And the the Bitcoin SV world, especially, micropayments is a big thing because the fees are quite low. So let's say you have a game and it's uh, one of these leaderboard type games and you're paying a teeny, tiny, tiny fraction of a penny or amount of money to actually play the game. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the winner gets paid out with something pretty small, not, not anything huge. Legally, how does this sit in the U.S.? Is this gambling under gambling laws? Is this something different? What do you think about this type of thing? Well- I mean, I don't really think it's different. I think that I know micro bets, you know, micro bets, especially when it comes to in-play um, sports betting um, to bring us back to sports betting, very popular. Everyone assumes that's going to continue to be popular. Everyone assumes it'll be easier for people to kind of part with these little micro bets, micro payments in the course of a game, um, especially if you're just like throwing a few here or there um, on every single play in a game. Obviously, at the end of the day, that can, you know, that can add up to a lot. But um, very popular. There's still a lot of money to be made there. So I think there's new operators and technology entering that kind of space on the sports betting side. I don't I mean, technically, legally, it shouldn't really matter to um, to someone who is, you know, seeking to to take enforcement action. I think that a lot of times um, when regulators are looking to take enforcement action, the question is, where do they get the the biggest bang for their buck? Right. Um, and the question is, well, who in that process and that system and that cycle is holding on to the most money? Um, I think that's, you know, where they would focus their efforts. Um, and so we've seen it before. I mean, you know, when the Internet first started, penny auctions were very popular. Um, you know, you go into these rooms and basically you just put in a penny to bid on a product. Um, and of course, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, the you know the the pennies have added up to quite some bucks, you know, and people weren't really complaining; they were losing pennies. But you know, these were these were considered pyramid schemes, fraud schemes. I mean, the FTC got involved from a false advertising perspective. So you know, it's it's not something that's totally totally new. And I think that when we see things being done on a very small level, it does take some time for a regulator to kind of figure it out and and get to the heart of the thing. But Again, I do think it comes back again to a lot of um, a lot of consumer complaints, consumer protection issues. Um, the other thing, you know, Becky, we haven't had this before. Back in the days of unregulated gaming, there wasn't anyone who was paying millions of dollars to New Jersey for a license. There wasn't anyone paying, you know, millions of dollars for a, a, a for a payment processing license. Now there is, and is that going to change how competitors complain about a- unregulated activity like this? Like maybe, you know, one of the, you know, payment processors who spent all this money getting up and ready to onboard, you know, online gaming doesn't like the fact that someone can come come out with a product where, you know, people are allowed to have micropayments and are not 
being properly licensed for that. And so they become the whistleblower, you know, and it, it's not really the regulator. Um, you know, that's that has to be a concern to enter anyone who's thinking about entering the space and not obtaining proper licensing. Yep. Amazing, amazing advice. And and this, I know, is such a, a big topic in the gambling industry, the state by state regulations that we're dealing with in the online gambling industry right now are super complex. I'm sure you know more about this than anybody. Um, what about when it comes to um, laws surrounding cryptocurrency and use uh, of cryptocurrency within your online casino and or blockchain technology in general, even when you're talking about NFTs or tokens, is this state by state, do you think, or how, how is that unfolding? It's going it's to, it, it's not the regulation of that industry is not state by state. Um, I mean, it could be state by state. We have seen, you know, we've seen Texas, we've seen New York engage in EBIT payment licenses and you know, um, we've seen them decide that they want to get engaged in the, in the space on a state by state basis. There are there is a there is room for state by state regulation. The only reason it's state by state when it comes to gaming, um, gaming and crypto is because the state regulator has to decide whether or not he or she is going to permit an operator to accept crypto. I mean, tomorrow some state could decide I have no problem with this. Um, and you can start seeing, you know, crypto being accepted on some of the major operator sites. Right now, I don't see that happening. But if it did happen, it would be on a state by state basis. The feds can't really do anything about that. They could say that it's totally acceptable. And they have said, you know, that it's acceptable to uh, have, you know, have crypto payments. Um, you know, the Treasury Secretary has said that many moons ago, um, that it is an equivalent form of currency to fiat. Um, but that's not going to make much of a difference um, to an operator who is regulated by a state regulator. Mm -hmm. Okay, state by state. So, okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say uh, to this question here, Jeff, and I'm just going to close out with this one. Um, in, in the blockchain space, in the BSV space, we have a lot of international talent and innovation happening in other countries. And, you know, let's say you have an online casino that's you know, developed in a country uh, using blockchain for everything, for payments, for the back end, everything. And it's totally legal and licensed and everything's wonderful in that particular country. Um, you know, but let's say an American gets on the site and starts playing. Um, what What's the legal consequence for this? What should that operator worry about, if anything? Well, um, you know, a lot of times we hear that, you know, um, uh, from an operator in, in that scenario, well, I wasn't targeting U.S. you know citizens. I wasn't advertising to them. As we know, you know, historically, um, the U United States never really cares about that. You don't have to actively target an American for a state prosecutor or federal prosecutor to say that you were acting illegally. So anytime that you basically allow um, a, someone in the United States, doesn't have to be a citizen, but someone who's physically located in the United States to access your technology, um, you have you know, opened yourself up to risk. And I think the risk is getting greater because, um, as we said before, now that everything's regulated, you're not just violating some federal gaming laws and you're not just violating state gaming laws, but you're operating without a license. And, you know, that's the easiest case to make. You know, there's no defenses to that. There's no, you know, constitutional issues. There's no complicated whatever. You just don't have a license. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I think the question becomes, do state regulators have the desire to go after this activity? And are they motivated to go after it? Because it's kind of like the game of whack-a-mole, right? I mean, every single day, there's another four or five sites, you know, how are you going to take them all down? The states look at the feds, the feds look at the state. 
I think that I think that eventually, you know, state regulators need to set aside money um, from their licensing regime. Um, you know, Pennsylvania takes a $10 million license fee for online casino um, to offer online casino slots. So, I mean, I know that most of that money is going back into the budget to fund, you know, good things, education, you know, daycare, all this kind of stuff. But maybe some of that money should be set aside for enforcement issues. And maybe that at, as a result of that, you know, some of this stuff will end up being taken down. But my advice to that person is you are taking a huge, a huge chance and a huge risk. And, you know, you really need to engage in some serious IP blocking. Um, some, you know, you might better make sure that um, you've got some really great VPN blocking because um, because it's a huge risk. And, and you know, you've seen um, in, in your uh, media career what happens to uh, to folks who take that risk. It's not just a letter. That's right. I, I sure I sure have, Jeff. That's why I knew the answer you were going to give for that yeah, question. Yeah, for our it's audience, a soft, though. Softball. <laughs> it was for our audience, for our audience. Oh, Jeff, honestly, as I said at the beginning, it makes me really happy to see you. Um, as always, you're so full of amazing information. Um, and, uh, and and I really look forward to watching uh, more of your work in this space as it develops, because we're just at the beginning here. Uh, thank you so oh, much. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, it's glad. Um, I think this the industry, the crypto and blockchain industry are very lucky to have you, you know, covering this space. Now you have, you have such incredible perspective and experience. And so, uh, it's, it's great that you've come over into this space with that perspective, especially with all the experience you've seen. Outstanding, Jeff. Thank you so much. And thank you guys so much for watching. It's Becky Legira with Jeff Ifra, and this is CoinGeek.com. A big thank you to Jeff Ifra for sharing his expertise on gambling law and how it applies to the rapidly evolving blockchain space. Thanks for listening to this edition of CoinGeek Conversations. Charles Miller will be back with another show next week, so please join him then. From me, Becky Legiro, it's goodbye for now, but stay tuned for the unveiling of my blockchain and gambling industry show in the coming weeks. I hope to see you then.